Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Real deal. He don't take the summer off. And so if you can be in the house of the Lord, be here. Amen. Matthew chapter number 7. Going to read just a few verses of scripture there. Amen. Uh, Starting with verse number 1. The Bible says, judge not that ye be not judged. Have you ever heard that said before? For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Amen. The the phrase that we are considering this morning for this series is this, Christians shouldn't judge. That's the phrase we're considering, giving thought to. Christians shouldn't judge. Whenever I state these titles for Mythbusters, I'm not necessarily stating it and then saying, okay, I'm in agreement with it. I'm just giving you the phrase that we are considering, okay? Amen. And so uh, that's what's in consideration today. Christians shouldn't judge. Amen. Let's go to the Lord. He would help us, amen, here this morning as we study the word of the Lord. Father, I love you, Jesus, today. God, I am so appreciative of your presence this morning. God, I have felt, Lord, in in several different songs that have been sung here today and the people, Lord, that have responded to the presence of the Lord through the singing. God, and the the answer, Lord, to prayer. God, I still rejoice over that today. And God, I am asking you to help us now for the next few moments as we look into the Word of God. Lord, allow that Word to be a mirror for us. God, in our own personal lives, that we would be made better by it and will thank you and praise you Jesus for what you do in Jesus name I pray the church say amen amen you may be seated this morning in Jesus name in Jesus name hallelujah if, if I start to kind of look at you all like this it's because this side is outweighing this side today the, 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 the trouts have backslid the trouts ba- they slid back from this side backwards Amen. Don't want anybody to misconstrue that. Amen. But anyway, so it, the teeter-totter is off balance this morning. Amen. So if I kind of looking like you, like an RCA dog or whatever it was, it's because, it's because of that. Christians shouldn't judge. Matthew 7. Matthew 7. Uh, to understand really the whole setting here of Matthew 7, just, just a little bit. When Jesus opened his mouth, Jesus is speaking here in Matthew 7. There's a lot of red letters that's flying everywhere here before this and after this. And if you have a red letter edition of the Bible, you know that's Jesus is talking. And so we're paying some particular attention. But Jesus didn't just start talking in Matthew 7, verse number 1. As a matter of fact, 
according to the scripture, Jesus opened his mouth, actually started back in Matthew chapter number 5. He opened his mouth back in Matthew 5, and he doesn't close his mouth until the closing of Matthew chapter number 7. And so that's, that's, that's quite a time to, to, to be talking, quite a time to be speaking. Uh, he, uh, there's probably some around here could give him a run for his money, but nevertheless, uh, he was talking for some time. And whenever he was speaking, he spoke about through that, that time or through that, those verses of Scripture, he spoke about various, various topics. And, and what, everything that he spoke of is oftentimes referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, that Jesus takes this time to do a lot of speaking, the Sermon on the Mount. As a matter of fact, I just counted last night, this sermon contains, in our English Bibles, 107 verses, 107 verses in our English Bibles. And people say that if you were to start reading this, that it's capable of being read in about 12 minutes and 30 seconds. Yet, that being the case, regardless among all of these topics and among these 107 verses, there is one verse, namely composed of seven words, Matthew 7 and verse number 1, that has become, I say that become, I think a process over time, has become perhaps the most quoted verse, uh, more particularly by non-believers. Um, they, 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 a lot of times it's, spoken in, in a reference like this, don't judge me. I, I remember when that used to be, you know, the saying, don't judge me. Some people do that in a playful way, but there's others that are quite absolutely 100% serious about the matter. Do not judge me. And whenever this is used, the way that this is used oftentimes, it's used as a, as a defense or a rebuttal of sorts whenever they perceive that something has been infringed upon. Uh, their lifestyle's been infringed upon. Uh, their actions have been infringed upon whenever they feel like there's a, 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 an infringement upon lifestyle or something that they are doing by another. It's kind of a rebuttal. Don't, don't judge me. They're saying, don't, don't judge my lifestyle or don't judge my actions. Uh, it may, may even be called a smoking gun, if you will. Don't judge me. Uh, phraseology because it's oftentimes used to try to silence the opposition silence the uncomfortable topics amen that may arise in our lives it's, it's sometimes used as a band-aid don't judge me used as a band-aid to do what to cover up apparent blemishes that we have that we may even know we have amen and why do we do that because we want to calm our conscience amen we want to calm what we are feeling so judge not those seven words judge not that ye be not judged or simply don't judge me I want to I want to grab just a, a definition from from Mr. Webster what the word judge means as a verb Mr. Webster defines judge as a verb this this is the first definition to form an opinion about through careful weighing of evidence and testing of premises. This sentence, spoken by Jesus, it is, spoken by Jesus, seems to be many times applied by believers, I could say, and non-believers alike. It's, it's applied as a sentence separated from all the other sentences around it. They take this one sentence and they apply it as a solitary statement 
away from its context, away from the other verses of Scripture. And so by itself, you take those seven words, by itself as being spoken from Jesus, judge not that ye be not judged. We understand it by itself as a command from Jesus Christ. A command from Jesus Christ, colored in red for that matter. Amen. That's telling us, or whoever's reading it, to abstain under any and all circumstances from judging another. For what purpose? So the judger does not become the judged. So away from everything. That's the way we understand it. It's a command that any... any under any circumstances, on circumstances, you should not judge. And that is the way that the greater part of the world and society interpret this verse of Scripture. First of all, this morning, I think it's important to see, putting the Scripture back in its context, back in the Word of God, it's important to ask ourselves, who is Jesus really speaking to here in Matthew 7? Who, who is his audience? Who is he talking to? And so, who is the Sermon of the Mount, for that matter? Who is the Sermon of the Mount mainly addressed to? Well, if you turn to Matthew chapter number 4, back a few chapters, starting with verse 25, the Bible says, And there followed him, speaking of Jesus, great multitudes of people from Galilee and from Decapolis and from Jerusalem and from Judea and from beyond Jordan. Verse 1 of chapter 5, and seeing the multitudes, Jesus seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And verse 2 says, and he, Jesus that is, opened his mouth and taught them. Them who? The disciples, all right? And taught them, saying. But there's something that happens. Anytime someone speaks, it's very real. Anytime someone speaks, there's always a direct audience and an indirect audience. This morning, every one of you that are standing, sitting before me, you're, you're my direct audience today. You're my focus. I'm honing in on you, but especially with media today, my indirect audience are those that may listen by podcast. It's those that somehow a CD might get into their hand or, or it's those of you that might go somebody else about what he talked about today. I always have an indirect audience. And so Jesus, his main audience for the Sermon of the Mount and even for Matthew chapter number 7, which is a part of that, is his disciples. He went up to a mountain. Whenever they came to him, he began to speak to them. But that is not to say that the multitudes that were around that had followed them were not over in the distance somewhere listening in on what the Lord was saying and on what he was teaching. So I believe there is application today for the disciple, the believer, and even some of the multitudes who may have been unbelievers. There is application for Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 1 as well. And so he had his audience is bigger than just his disciples. And so when we begin to read Matthew 7 and verse 1, there's something that I'm going to just say right from the front so we can stir the kettle, okay? <laughs> I got a big spoon. We can stir the kettle. And that is this. The problem of Matthew 7 and verse number 1, the problem is not judging. The problem is not judging. Judge, we looked at what Webster had to say about it, but let's see what judge means in the Greek, the language that it was written. Judge means primarily signifies to distinguish, choose, separate, or discriminate 
them to distinguish between good and evil, right and wrong, without necessarily passing an adverse sentence, though this is usually involved, it means to sift out and analyze the evidence. He says, judge not that you be not judged. Uh, with the same judgment that you judge, you're going to be judged with whatever you measure, you, whatever measure you met, it's going to be measured to you again. And then Jesus, as he oftentimes does, he kind of uses an illustration. He uses a, a little illustration here to uh, further bring his teaching to, to a place that the people that he's speaking to can understand. And so he begins to speak to them, basically. There, there's two men in this story, in this illustration that Jesus is speaking about. Uh, one man is a man with what the Bible calls a beam, a man in his eye. But the man with the beam in his eye that notices a, what I could say, a moat or a speck, if you will, a speck in the other's eye. Now, the man with the beam in his eye, he believes it is not good that there is a speck in his brother's eye. And the sentence, if I could, see, he, that man with the beam, he's doing some judging. He's distinguishing. He's separating. He's some choosing. He observes something. He says, that speck in his eye, that's not good. He casts a judgment. That's not good. And furthermore, he even comes to a conclusion or a sentence, if you will. That speck that's not good needs to be removed from his eye. That foreign material needs to be taken from that brother's eye. Amen. So if we look at this man with a beam in his eye, let's consider his judgment, all right? There's nothing wrong with his judgment. It is not good that there's a speck in his brother's eye. That, that's a founded statement. That's not good. Amen. Amen. So, so there's nothing wrong with the judgment. The judgment is good. Amen. Furthermore, he even judges that the speck should not remain. The speck should not remain in his brother's eye. That's a good judgment. That speck should not remain in his brother's eye. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, if you skip down to verse number five, Jesus, Jesus doesn't have any problem, amen, with him casting out the moat or the speck when he can clearly see himself. Wasn't no problem. He said, yeah, right judgment, it should be done. I have no problem with it. Matter of fact, he says, after you get rid of the beam and you can see clearly, go on and take care of the situation because you rightly judge. So Jesus didn't have no problem with the judging or the judgment, if you will. Amen. The problem that Jesus had and what is really the focus of Matthew 7, the problem what Jesus had was the lack of self-consideration that the man had. The, the lack of looking at himself. If I may, and this is not up there, sis, so you may have to help her, but Galatians 6 and verse number 1, the Bible states these words. If we can touch another verse of Scripture that, that illustrates this well. Galatians 6 and verse number 1, the Bible states these words, the apostle does. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, now let's stop here. If you're considering something a fault or a no fault, you've already cast judgment. Mm -hmm. You have to judge in order to consider what's faulty, what's not faulty. You've cast judgment. So brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, how do you know they're in a fault? Well, I've made a judgment right there. Ye which are spiritual, 
restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Look now, considering thyself, lest thou be also, lest thou also be tempted. Amen. In other words, if you're going to help a brother that's been in a fault and you've judged rightly that they are, they are in a fault, when you go to help them out, hey, stop for a moment and consider yourself whether or not perhaps a similar fault may be in your own life, all right? Because you're only really going to be provide them the help that they need if you've considered yourself first. Nothing wrong with your judgment, but you need... Let, if I'd say it like this, let judgment first begin with self. Amen. With self. Amen. So the first verse in Matthew 7, it's not about judging, but it's about not judging without first giving consideration to yourself. Amen. Let judgment begin with self before it goes elsewhere. Amen. Amen. She said, good judgment concerning the speck. Good judgment concerning the moat. All that is well and fine. My problem's not with your judgment. My problem is where your judgment began. It should have began with yourself and then moved to others, all right? And so, folks, it's very difficult. It's very unprofitable trying to help somebody with a struggle that you're struggling with yourself. Uh, for our story with this illustration that Jesus used, which was quite bizarre, the man with a beam in his eye, all right? The man with a beam in his eye, and can I note that a beam uh, literally there is like a rafter or a truss. We're, I mean, we're talking about Jesus was really using all opposite ends of the spectrum. Or a, a truss, a rafter, a beam. We're talking about something big. And when we talk about moat, we're talking about a speck. Uh, the, the best thing that I can illustrate in difference to what the beam is, talking about a piece of sawdust. <laughs> Those are quite opposite ends of the spectrum. Well, now, if I'm going to help somebody with some sawdust in their eye, and I got a truss, all right, I got a rafter in my own eye, it's going to be just a little bit difficult for me helping the man with the piece of sawdust whenever I got a moat that in my eye. Why? Because I can't, I can't clearly aid him, amen, because my own vision is obstructed by the same thing, some sort of wood, if you will. It, it, it's obstructed by the same thing, both sawdust and a beam, both wood. The magnitude may be different. Huh? The magnitude or amount may be different, but it's still wood of some sort. And so I can't clearly aid him with that being in my own eye. So it's not so, listen to me, that very first verse, there's a lot contingent on that and people use it every day. It's not judge not so the judger doesn't become the judged. So we quote that judge not that ye be not judged. We talk about it like don't judge so that, this is the way I believe that people interpret it, don't judge so that in the future you're not judged. Is that the way we understand that? Right? Isn't that the way it's normally understood? Don't judge so then in the future you're not judged. But the scripture is judge not. The word that there means this. The word that there means this in the Greek. Judge not lest ye be not judged. Lest ye be not judged. In other words, don't judge lest you 
haven't been judged yourself first. Don't judge lest ye be not judged first. It's not speaking that, oh, because you're going to be judged in the future. No, perhaps you haven't already been judged in your past. Judge not that ye be not judged lest ye be not judged first. If you're going to judge someone for lying, but you're a habitual liar, then you have in the same moment that you judge them have judged yourself. If you laid a finger on them and said, that's wrong, but that lies within your own life, you've judged yourself the moment that you have judged them. And if it was decided that a moat should be removed from an eye, man, I'm thinking to myself, how much more should a beam be removed from an eye? Because they both deal with the same thing. It's both of some manner of wood, all right? The difference was just in the magnitude. Small, big, still wood, still positioned in the same place in the eye. Amen. Again, so the verse isn't necessarily about judging. It is a verse that sets the practice of judging in the right order. Judge yourself first, and then you'll be capable, amen, of judging others. And whenever I say judging others, I say judging to the degree of being able to execute the judgment. Amen. He could have said without, and it was good and right, there's moat in that guy's eye. True. But he would not to be able to execute removing that from his eye until he had first taken care of what was with himself. Someone, is, am I making any sense here today? Until he first took care of, of what was with himself. The Apostle Paul understood this principle of get the judge order right. Judge first yourself, then judge others. Because listen folks, here's the seriousness of the matter. Here's the seriousness of the matter. It isn't so much, well, you're trying, to, you're trying to be judgmental. That isn't necessarily the matter. You're trying to ride some high horse, some false high horse while you're trying to take care of everybody else's business. That isn't necessarily the matter. The matter is this. You can't adequately help them. Your, your, your help is handicapped if you've not first judged at home first. That's where the matter really is. It's not the matter of someone judging or not judging. It's that you will not adequately be able to help if you've not first taken care of home yourself first. And I believe the Apostle Paul understood this principle. He spoke, of course, he established many churches, talked to a lot of people. The epistles are written to the churches. You know what he's doing many times when he's writing the epistles? Judging. There's fornication here. There's division here. I hear that, yeah, he's judging, judging, judging. Nothing wrong with it. But here's something I believe Paul understood. It's not the whole subject matter of judging, but it's the priority of judging taking care of me first before I step into a place of being able to help anybody else out. And so he says in 1 Corinthians 9 and 27, he says, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. What are you doing, Paul? Paul's saying, I judge me first. I judge me first. Why? Lest that by any means when I have preached to others, when I've preached to others and I've called out others' sin and others' lifestyle and others' actions, if I've done all this, I myself should be a castaway. This is why I do this. I don't want to go around and say, you know, that's wrong and, and be right in saying that and that's wrong and be right in saying that, but then not be in a place to adequately help them. And by the same means, I lose out. I lose out because I didn't start with myself. So the judging wasn't the problem. The priority of the judging start with me first because listen 
if we're to really consider the matter, if a person was to get a piece of sawdust, or let's go even a little deeper, a little, a little figment, a little uh, a fragment of a piece of metal in the eye, if you're going to do that, and if that's going to be removed by someone, that's a very difficult and delicate task. When you start going and approaching somebody's eye, our eyes are probably one of the most sensitive things on our body. You get close to it, what does it do? It closes up, you know. It, it doesn't want anybody up close and personal. And the instant we touch it, this happens. And so whenever you do that, you're going to want to see clearly in order to do what needs to be done. And whenever you do that, whenever you execute that judgment, you're going to have to do it, can I say it like this, in the right spirit, in the right spirit. See, we've taken Matthew 7, 1 as being, hey, don't be judgmental. There's a different, you can judge and not be judgmental. Hmm? You can judge and not be judgmental. Judgmental has to do with the attitude of the one doing the judging. You can judge and judge justly and judge rightly and have an attitude that wants to help rather than condemn. Is someone understanding me right now? See, what we do with the, the world uses that as the case. Everybody's being judgmental. Furthermore, let me say this this morning, that if the judgment that is cast is a judgment that's already been cast, uh-huh, God's word, then it wasn't pastor that judged you or anybody else that judged you. God is trying to judge you. Amen. God is trying to judge you. But again, it's with the Spirit. Amen. You're not going to go, you're not going to go up to that eye with a fragment of metal in it or, or sawdust and have out your biggest pair of pliers and, you, and be pulling the eyelid back and be bunking down in there. Hold on, everybody, I'm going to get it. You know, trying to get that. No, no, no. That this is a sensitive thing. This is a delicate thing. You're not going to be do that. And, and so it's the attitude sometimes that we judge in. Philippians 1 and verse number 9, the Bible. Bible says and this I pray that your love everyone say love may abound yet more and more look where in knowledge and in all judgment verse 10 that ye may approve things that are excellent if you're proving things that are excellent if you judge because it proves something excellent or not excellent there's judgment if you approve things that are excellent judgment is involved here that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of the Lord so the apostle says he says I pray man we need love we need love the Bible speaks about the law of love we have 1 Corinthians 13 telling us about it bearing all things and, and sees no evil and all this stuff we need love we understand he's a God of love but he says if there's ever a place that you need love that we're going to endorse here you need love in knowledge and you need love in all judgment amen in all judgment you know whenever there you you can I can talk to my kids and this with my kids two entirely different ways I can get down hard on them and be absolutely mad mm -hmm. furious point out what they had done wrong or should have done but you know what? I can also talk to them in the voice just like I'm talking to you right now and say, you know why that, you know, discipline is about ready to happen, about going to take place. You understand what you did is wrong. Two totally different things. And their response to how I handle that are two entirely different things. Amen. Amen. 
I've had times, amen, when I've done both. Welcome to the club. I've been on both ends of the stick. Can't say I'm proud of it, but I have been. I've done times whenever I went in with my critical attitude of whatever it is they have done was just spoken a moment of anger and frustration and see their little eyes get as wide as anything and a, a, a tinge of fear in those eyes. And I went in and talked to them like this, amen, and tears start falling from their eyes. Not because they were afraid, because they knew what I was saying and right, what did they understand? The one who was talking to them was loving them, amen, in that judging or in that correction. And so it can make an entire difference, an entire difference, amen, this morning. And so there must be love that abounds, particularly in judgment. Because what is it going to take to clear that from the eye? Well, it's, uh, for that, that organ there, it's going to take some gentleness. It's going to take some carefulness. It might take a little bit of patience. And, and you know what? It might take a little bit of sympathy for the other person. And let me state this. How we deal with sin in another's life may greatly, may, may greatly be influenced by love if we have dealt with that same sin already in our own life. Amen. Uh-huh. Here's Bean Boy over here. <laughs> That's B-E-A-M, not Bean. Not Bean Boy, but Beam Boy over here. He's going to take care of this wood situation of a speck in this guy's eye. Now, he's going to be a whole lot more compassionate, understanding, and sympathetic if he started judgment at home first and has already dealt with the same material but of a larger magnitude in his own life. He's going to know, man, I know how I had to deal with that. I know how I had to get through with that. And so he's going to be a little bit more ginger dealing with someone because he's walked that road. And that's again then why Christ says, let judgment start at home because we'll be more ginger and sympathetic, not condoning. You can have love and that doesn't mean you condone. You hear me? You can be delicate and gentle if you've already starts, dealt with some of that stuff in your own life, you're going to be a little bit more sensitive in how you handle that in another's life. Amen. You will. And so, and so he says, we're going to take care of this. We're going to do it in love. And how I deal with other people's sin, that's greatly influenced by how the sins that I've had in my life have been dealt with. It inspires a spirit of love. So sometimes the judging, again, is what is the attitude of the judger. Not that the judging is wrong, it's how we. It's not the act, it's the behavior, how we. Old Chinese proverb used to state something like this. It says, do not remove a fly from your friend's forehead with a hatchet. <laughs> Evidently, there's a situation there of a fly on the forehead. But the way in which you deal with that could be a difference, big difference right here. You know, you can be barging in with a hatchet or you can go in with some tweezers and you can go in very meticulous. Uh-huh. Because here's what, here's what is needed. You know, the old saying used to be, you know, you, you, you want to you wanna break the horse without breaking the horse's spirit. You want to go in where you're able of taking care of the sawdust without, without corrupting anything else that should be left intact. You hear me? Without touching anything else that should be left intact. And so you want to deal with a problem and not while, listen to me, not while dealing with a problem, create a problem. 
We got a fire over here. Oh, I got a fish put out that fire. Boy, we did. As we stomped, those embers went shooting from our feet over yonder. Guess what? It started another fire over here. Was it right to take care of it? Yeah. But sometimes the way, the way that it should be taken care of is where really the, the problem lies. Amen. Our word, our word that we have in our English language, critic, critic, is from this very word judge, critic. And as I said before, you, we can judge without being judgmental. Or we can judge without being critical, without being sharp, without unjust criticism. The Bible says in John 7 and verse 24, John 7 and verse 24, this is Jesus speaking. He says, judge not according to appearance. The second phrase is what I really want. We could talk about the other. I'm not going there today. Don't have time for it. Judge not according to the appearance. That would be another one people could take out of context. And Yeah, okay. Amen. Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Judge righteous judgment. Now listen to me. Righteous judgment can only be judged or executed by the righteous. Or those living right. When Jesus told the Jews to judge righteous judgment, you know what he was doing? He was putting priority on the order of judging. Judgment happens where first? Right here. And whenever it happens here first, I get things squared away for right living here first. Then when I go forward after that, I'm able to judge righteous judgment. To do it before I start here is not to judge righteously because I have some things skewed in my own life. So he's putting a priority on things. Judge first, judge self first, and then others. It's the only way that righteous judgment can be given. And let me further say that righteous judgment is the judgment of God. Because the other places in the New Testament Scripture that those two words are paired together, righteous judgment, is whenever they are speaking about or mentioned in reference to the righteous judgment of God. Righteous judgment is a godly judgment. Righteous judgment is the judgment that we will all face when the world ends eventually, totally, completely. It'll be the righteous judgment of God. And so we need godly judgment, righteous judgment. How does that happen? By not judging? No. But by letting judging start here and then extend out to here. Amen. Jesus, note in verse number five that Jesus calls someone that has the ability to focus on the very minute, small, and others' lives and, and, and miss the larger substantial if you will the beam in their own lives he calls them a hypocrite there's someone I want to point out about this and it's like well, see there somebody up on their high horse acting like they got it all together calling out stuffing me blah blah according to Hastings Bible Dictionary the hypocrisy of the gospels he says is the appearing before men what one ought to be but is not before God, and this is important. At times, it is a deliberately played part. We consciously have stuff in our life that we know is there, but we act as though it's not. Sometimes it's played consciously. 
but there's other times it's a deception of which the actor himself is unconscious. And what I'm saying is this, there's times you play the heart, the, 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 the role of a hypocrite consciously. You got stuff you're covering up, and sometimes, and this is going to be the case, people call it out in other people because they got it in their own life, and it's kind of trying to move the lens, you know, over. And we can talk about somebody else who got that problem, maybe they won't catch that I got that problem. But there's other times, listen to me well, that we got things in our life that we've not even observed or recognized yet. And we become a hypocrite unknowingly. Why, how in the world, Pastor, can you not see a beam in your own eye? I mean, get real. How can a man overlook a beam in his own eye? Well, listen to me, folks. Whenever we speak in terms of this, whenever we speak in terms of sin, all right, sin can be, as we said many times, very deceptive. I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay. Sin can be very deceptive. That deceptive, yes. Enough, and I know this is just a story Jesus used, but enough, a person could have a beam in their eye and not even recognize it. That is the deceptiveness of sin. The Bible states in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12, he says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, look at verse 13, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Amen. Amen. He said, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing. He said, take heed. What are you saying? He's saying, I'm saying sin is so deceptive and beguiling that it can crawl up in your spirit, grab a hold of you before you've ever even recognized that it's there and it can harden you to deceive you to go on and live life like you're living and believe you're okay and you're not okay. Sin can make a hypocrite of you and not even have the knowledge of it. Sin can make a hypocrite of you. It can deceive you so well, it can make a hypocrite of you. Whenever in the Old Testament that the prophet Nathan uh, spoke a parable that was designed to lead King David to repentance, David had, had committed adultery with Bathsheba through the series of events. He had had her husband Uriah killed in battle. He's not owning any of this. He's not owning any of this. There's no spirit of repentance upon him. But Nathan comes, speaks a parable to him, uh, gives the story. David becomes judge, judging in the story. Uh, the story went something like this. There were two men. One had several flocks, well-to-do. There was another one that was kind of poor. He had one little lamb. That one little lamb ate at the table. It slept with them, played with them. They grew very attached to it. There came a day that there was a stranger that came to the man that was quite rich. And instead of slaughtering one of of his many flocks, lambs of his many flocks, he went and took that one little lamb the poor family had and he slayed it and made it for the stranger. David become outraged. This is wrong. Good judgment. Good judgment. This is wrong. This man should die. They should return fourfold. All of this should happen. And so what has happened, there's this terrible injustice. David is rightly judging. But what's the problem? Not that David's judgment was wrong, but that his judgment didn't start at home. Nathan says, he says, well, I kind of did a little twisty here on you. Thou art 
the man. And his, David's anger is quite enlightening. That sin, sin was so prominent in David's life that it had the ability to allow him to see other people's sins with no difficulty, but he was blind to his own. Sin made a hypocrite out of David. It's this deceitfulness of sin. So should Christians judge? Well, for one thing, we have to make decisions every day that involve people. Yep. Mm -hmm. We pass judgment on appearance, behavior, speech. Pass judgment on attitude, work ethic, people. Productive, non-productive, all right? Keeping or breaking promises. Uh, guilty or innocent. We do it. We do it. And we don't have to sit down and write... Pro we do it pretty effortlessly. <laughs> we do it pretty effortlessly. And again, if I judge someone by the action of the Word of God, I didn't judge it per se, but it was already judged by God's Word. Amen. And so here's something interesting. After this statement in verse 1, judge not that you be not judged. What judgment you judge, you shall be judged, so on and so forth. After that statement, then we go down to verse 6. Jesus still speaking here. He says, give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine. Okay, judge not. And he says, don't give those things which are holy, which right there you got to, there's a judgment being made, what's holy or unholy, to, to the dogs, your pearls, or that which is valuable before swine. Now he's not talking about literal dogs here. He's not talking about literal swine. Many times in Scripture, whenever they spoke of dogs, people that they believed of a, uh, a lesser socioeconomic thing were dogs or, or swine. Uh, swine and dogs many times were emblems for people in the Scripture. Look now. So he says, judge not, and he turns around and tells them, you've got to judge. Because who's a swine? Uh, in, you know, in emblem terms. Who's a dog? Who, who, you know, those old dogs are not like dogs today, not man's best friend, crawl up in your lap and pet type dogs. We're talking about gnarly old dogs, ate everything and anything. They were very vicious, amen. And we're talking about swine here, you know. They, they basically eat every, anything, it would seem like. We're just talking about these, these type of people. So here's, here's pigs, here's dogs, who were both considered unclean animals. And so there is judgment cast there. You've got to judge them. People, how are you going to make a judgment of what's a swine, what's a dog, what's good, what's... You're making judgment. Don't judge, judge. Where are we here? Because again, it wasn't a matter of judging. It was a matter of where judging started, a priority of judging. If I can, turn to 1 Corinthians 5, and that's, that's not up there either. Amen. 1 Corinthians 5. The Bible states these words. The apostle, and I'm just going to read a few of these verses, and I'll, I'll, I'll come to a close this morning. 1 Corinthians 5, just to kind of get a, a, uh, a feel of what's being spoken here. I'll go to verse number 9. 1 Corinthians 5, verse number 9. I, I may swing over into, in chapter 6 as well. But in verse 9, 1 Corinthians 5, Paul writes, and he, he's writing to the church, the church at Corinth. He says, I wrote unto you an epistle not to company with fornicators. Judgment. Boom. There it is. <laughs> well, you're going to have to judge who's a fornicator and who's not. How do you do that? Yet, not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with covetous or extortion or with idolaters, 
man, you're really getting down to the judge of business. Now we're categorizing and sorting, you know. For then must ye needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, a covetous, or adulterer, a railer, or drunkard, or an extortioner, with such a one, no, not to eat. Paul's talking about within the church, within the setting of the church, if there are some that are constantly practicing these type of behaviors, which should not, should be less and less in the church, if I can say it like that, he says you, you, you need to be careful there. You need to steer clear there. And he asks in verse 12, For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do you not judge them that are within? Righteous judgment happening within the house of God. If someone calls himself a Christian, they come to church and say, I'm God, one that's God, Epstockville, the Holy Ghost, and they are not acting like that. Righteous judgment. We should be able to judge and say, that ain't, This is not true. This is not true. Amen. He says in verse 13, But them that are without God judgeth. Them without God judgeth. Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Look at verse 6, chapter 6, verse 1. Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? So now he's talking about there's problems with people taking each other. We're going to small people. We're small claims court around here. The people are taking people to court fair. I'm going to sue you. You're going to sue me. He says, why is all this happening? We should be able to come up with a judgment in the house of God. He says, among the saints. He says, do you not know, look at this, do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? Wow. Wow. The saints shall judge the world, and if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Should Christians judge? The saints are going to judge the world. And Paul says, if you're going to be able to do that, shouldn't there be some smaller matters you should be able to handle? Hmm? He said, know ye not that ye shall judge angels. The saints shall judge the angels. And he goes on and he says then, how much more things that pertain to this life. But where judgment should begin? Let's follow it like this. Judgment should begin with me first. All right? Judgment, as Paul's writing here then, should then extend to the house of God. And then, only then, should it extend beyond. Amen. The Bible says in 1 Peter 4, 17, it states this words, these words, for the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God be? Amen. And so we go back to that verse number five. He says, don't take the holy and throw it before the dogs or the swine. Let's just classify that as unbelievers, non-believers. Don't be cast in the value. You judge, I tell you what, they're just a bunch of, just a bunch of idolaters out there. What do you expect from people that don't know God? You understand what I'm saying? You're casting a judgment on just by virtue of not being a part of God is already judged within itself. You expecting, you expecting to bite into an apple and taste an orange? You understand what I'm saying? So don't be casting that on, don't, don't be casting the valuable and, and don't be letting that be in that direction because, hey, they are in sinners. 
When you are a sinner, you sin. Ding, 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 ding. But when you are in the church, you're trying to get further away from that. Huh? So let judgment begin in the house and then let it get real close. Let it get right here. And so we got a process. Nothing wrong with judging. I need to judge myself. As a pastor, I first sure need to try to help some of us here too along the way. Amen. They need help? Yes, absolutely. Amen. But by virtue of where they are, God already got them judged. This Bible says God judges those that are without. Those that are without, they already got a judgment upon them. Those that know God, there's already a judgment upon them. It's there. It's in God's word. It's already there. They're lost. Are they without hope? No. But in the state that they currently are, there's a judgment already on them unless something would alter or change. But with us, we in our lives, in daily lives, need to go from point to point. Man, we got to consider ourselves, and then we can consider our neighbors. Why would we consider our neighbor? Not to be critical or judgmental, but because I might be able to help because I'm going, I have went through what they are going through. I have won the battle against what they're presently fighting. So we got to mark this bad omen and aura around judging away. If it's done properly, if it's done rightly and prioritized and in order, it can be very, very productive for the kingdom of God in each of our relationship in the house of the Lord. Amen. Don't, though, and you can stand with me, don't allow sin, though, to make a hypocrite of you. It's deceiving. It's very deceiving. And so you will hear it yet again, folks. As the world goes, all you got to do to say, all you got to do is give a truth in God's word concerning something that might be going on in the world, and you'll hear the words, do not judge me. We really didn't. This did. This did. Now, if you got a judgmental spirit, if you're very critical, harsh, and abrupt, and you went in with your pliers toward the eye and not being sensitive that's a whole nother matter amen so amen we'll continue next week can we bow our heads here this thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities you can find us on facebook instagram and twitter with the username facmc again that's facmc thank you and have a blessed day